The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. The last two times that we've spoken here, we've referred to our subject as acceptable words. And this is based on a psalm that most of you are probably familiar with, uh, Psalm 19 and 14, where David writes, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So David prayed that what he said would be acceptable to the Lord, and that obviously indicates that we may say things that are unacceptable to the Lord, but we need to draw from that that it should also be our prayer to ask the Lord to help us say things which are acceptable in His sight. Now this morning we considered the question, what should we say? And the primary verse that we looked at, and we'll start there tonight, is in Ephesians 4.29, where Paul writes, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And I said that if we could only pick one verse to teach what is appropriate to say and what's not appropriate to say or to be more scriptural, if we're to select one verse that teaches what is acceptable to the Lord in contrast to what is unacceptable to the Lord, this would probably be as good a passage as you could find because it says what you should not say and what you should say. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth. That being things that are destructive, uh, things that tear down as opposed to building up. Things that are worthless, things that are unprofitable. And then in contrast to that, he tells us what we should say. He says, that which is good to the use of edifying. And then we tried to develop that thought. There are things that we should say, things that we should not say, and here is a, a good gauge as you ponder that subject. Don't let corrupt communication proceed, but rather that which is good to the use of edifying, that is, building up. Now tonight I want to consider the question, not what should we say, but how should we say it? You know, it's one thing to speak the truth, it's one thing to speak that which is edifying, but you can say things which in their substance are edifying, but because of the way you present it, it's not edifying. I've actually had the experience 
of hearing the truth preached in such a bad attitude that I was almost embarrassed to say, yeah, that's what I believe. I believe what he just preached. See, there wasn't anything wrong with the substance of what he presented. It was the attitude and some of the words that were used to present that truth. And so I'm sure you can see that how you speak is very important in terms of your witness in the kingdom of God. So let's think about that last part of Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. Now, if you speak the truth in a harsh, abrasive manner, it will not minister grace unto the hearers. They may remember what you said, but they will primarily remember the way you said it, and they'll not want to engage in conversation with you again. He says that we need to speak that which ministers grace unto the hearers. Now, that word grace is a word that we ordinarily associate with salvation. Salvation is by grace. The Bible makes that clear. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the word grace also applies uh, to other ideas. For example, it can mean uh, kindness. Or it can speak of favor shown to someone. Now when we think about our salvation and say that it is by grace, certainly our salvation is based on the unmerited favor of God. It's based on the kindness of God. Well, our conversation should reflect our understanding of God's grace toward us and therefore should be uh, words that show favor, words that are inviting, words of kindness, words that make people feel comfortable with us, words that uh, draw them near. So let's look at some scriptures that emphasize this point. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul refers to speaking the truth in love. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, first of all, notice he again here is speaking of growing up. That's the language of verse 29 when he says we're to say things which are good to the use of edifying. That means to build up. Here he uses the expression uh, growing up. And the way this is done is by speaking the truth in love. The truth can be spoken in hate. <laughs> the truth can be spoken in a, in a mean way. And when that's the case, we don't grow. As a matter of fact, if we have that mindset in the church, just the opposite will happen. We will end up tearing down. Uh, one another and tearing down the uh, 
spirituality and strength of the church. He says it's when we speak the truth in love that we grow up into Him. And notice here the emphasis in this verse is not on truth. The emphasis is on how you speak the truth. Speak it in love that you may grow up into Him. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Now, the way I'm going to present this tonight is a little different than how I've interpreted it in the past. And I trust that both interpretations are in harmony with Bible principles. I've often made this side note, if you misinterpret a verse, but it's a principle that is consistent with Scripture, that's not a big error to be concerned about. The problem is when you misinterpret a verse in such a way that it contradicts the consistent teaching of Scripture. But here in Colossians 4, 6, he says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. He's teaching here what it means or what the effect is when your speech is gracious. He's saying it's like something being seasoned with salt. You know, if you eat something that's unseasoned, it's bland. It doesn't really have any taste. If it's seasoned properly with salt, it tastes good. You enjoy it. In like manner, if your speech is with grace, and there's that word again, grace, kindness, if it shows favor, that's going to taste good to the people that are hearing you. Let your speech be always with grace. So think about this. Our words are to be acceptable to God. Not only what we say, but how we say it. They're to minister grace unto the hearers. In order to minister grace to the hearers, we need to speak the truth in love. We need to let our speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know, listen, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Not what you say, but how you say it. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 12. We looked at two passages in Ecclesiastes this morning. There are a number of verses in here that uh, are written much like the verses in Proverbs. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. You see, this is just a constant a thread or theme in Scripture. We're to talk in a way that is gracious. I've personally experienced occasions in the church where the truth was preached in a way that wasn't gracious. You know, it's a great error to think, well, if you're going to say the truth, you've got to be hard about it. That's not correct. If you want the truth to be ineffective, that would be a good approach. But if you want the truth to be effective, speaking it graciously and in love doesn't lessen the truth. You know, 
the, the impact of truth is based on the Holy Spirit applying it, not the charisma or the volume or the harshness of how you present it. You know, I remember when we were meeting in this other building next door, I would get so excited preaching sometimes that I would almost have to stop and catch my breath. But oftentimes here I find that uh, I, I preach at a much slower pace. Well, it's, uh, the Spirit can equally convict people of the truth of God's Word regardless of the manner in which it's preached. But we do need to make sure that that manner is not in conflict with the things the Bible does say about how we're to present it. The, wise, the, the words of a wise man are gracious. You know, if you'll read the Bible, I was talking about this a little this afternoon, the Bible commends saying little a lot more than it commends saying a lot. Have you ever considered that? In the book of Proverbs says, in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. You know what that means? If you talk a lot, you're going to be saying some things you ought not to say. And it talks about uh, when we come into the house of God in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, there's that passage that says, uh, God is in heaven and you are upon earth, so let your words be few. Now, if we're going to learn how to say what we say, We've already determined that it's not corrupt, that it's good, that it's profitable, that the substance of what we're going to say is something that can be edifying. The next question is, how are we going to say it? Now, look at Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 28. And as we read these verses, there are so many... I'm sure you're like me, you'll realize this isn't the way the world approaches it. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 28, The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. You remember this morning one of the verses we read said that the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Another verse we read says, The fool uttereth all his mind. Whatever he thinks, he says. Here he says, The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. You know, it's, it's much better to think about what you're going to say before you say it. Now that doesn't mean that in every little conversation when we're cutting up after church, that before you make any comment about anything, you've got to stop and study it out. I believe what this is teaching is in any serious matter, in any matter where you've already determined what is the right thing to say, you need to say, Lord, help me answer this in the right way and in the right spirit. That's especially needful when we're working with someone that's inquiring after the way of truth. Our words can be winsome, or our words can uh, drive them away. 
The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. You know, I'd, I'd do a lot more studying what I said after I said it. How about you? Correcting and reanalyzing and recognizing the problem with what I said after I said it. But you can't pull it back then, can you? <laughs> You've already poured it out. You can't gather it back up. But you can study to answer. You know, Solomon said, and maybe we'll get to this question later, uh, if we consider when we should speak. Solomon said, there's a time to speak and a time to keep silence. But as we think about how to speak, we need to study to answer. Listen to Proverbs chapter 15, same chapter, and the first part of verse 2. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. That means you can use knowledge a wrong, doesn't it? It's knowledge, it's information, it's correct, it's something that maybe in substance it's good, it's beneficial. But he says uh, the, the, the righteous, the godly man, uses knowledge aright. Just because you know it, don't say it. You don't necessarily need to say all you know about the matter. You, you need to pray, Lord, help me to know how far to go. Now, at this point, you might already be saying, well, brother, buddy, I know it's important not only to say the right things, and also, I know it's also important as to how we should speak, but where can I, how can I get specific direction on that? In other words, the verses we've said uh, teach that the righteous studieth to answer and that they use knowledge aright. Well, well how do I know to, the answer to that? How do I know that I'm using it aright? How, how, how do I get the answer to, regarding how to speak when I study about it? You remember this morning we talked about that passage in James that says the tongue can no man tame? Well, if you'll study uh, that wild gathering that Jesus healed or he cast the demons out, you remember what it said about him? No man could tame him. And they went to extreme measures, didn't they? They couldn't bind him. They couldn't do anything with him in terms of Getting him under control. Well, your tongue's the same way, isn't it? You can't do much with it in terms of getting it under control. No man can tame the tongue, but the Lord can help you tame it. The Lord tamed that man that no man could tame. And the Lord can guide you. I believe that firmly that if you're praying to God and studying to answer and you want to use knowledge aright, the Holy Spirit will tell you when to be quiet and when to speak. Amen. He will. God can help you tame your tongue. See, God knows everything about what's going on in the life and mind of that person you're talking to, and they know whether the Lord knows what, you, what they need to hear, and the Lord can guide you in that regard. You know, we can't come up with a pamphlet of how to, how to speak in any given situation. We need the Lord's guidance. 
We need the leadership of His Spirit. But the Bible does give a lot of guidelines on specifically how to speak. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. This is speaking to preachers in particular, but it certainly applies to all of us. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Don't be quarrelsome, but be gentle unto all men. How many times have there been problems in a church where this is just totally overlooked? You know, people can be very harsh and cruel and divisive while they're saying, I'm right on this. Well, you're not right on it if you're not being gentle. He says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach. You you don't have an aptitude or an ability to teach if you're not gentle. You know, my children sometimes tell me about different college professors. Some of them have plenty of knowledge, but they don't know how to use it aright. Some of them uh, know the material, but they don't know how how to teach, how to get it across. Servant of the Lord must be gentle unto all men. Then look at, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Here's the way I like to think about that verse. The Lord is at hand. You know, the Bible teaches that we're to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The Bible says he's not far from every one of us. The Lord is near. Now the Lord is near. The Lord has all power. The Lord has everything in control. He, has, he intervenes according to his will. So if you align yourself with what pleases him, you're in a, you're in a good place. So when he says, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand, he's saying on the basis of the fact that you understand that if I'm honoring the Lord, he's going to honor me. If I I honor his word, he's going to support me and help me. And with that understanding, you are then even in controversial situations to let your moderation be known unto all men. The word moderation means you're... uh, One of the renderings is your sweet reasonableness. You know, in the flesh, you can't do that. If you're in a situation where there's conflict and you're being criticized and misrepresented, you're not going to be that way in the flesh. But I'm thankful that I've, I hate to say it this way, but sometimes uh, we have to acknowledge how inconsistent we are I have experimented with that verse enough to know that I've been in situations where uh, there was conflict 
and difficulty, but I felt like I was doing what pleased the Lord, and I just felt a calmness in spite of what was going on around me. You ever had that experience? Where you were, you were the enemy, you were opposed, everybody was against the way you thought things should be done, but you said, Lord, I'm just trying to do it the way that honors you. And while they're all upset and agitated, you're calm. And even as they're disagreeing with you, you can let your moderation be known unto all men. See, that has to do with how you answer. In Galatians chapter 5, there's not really a specific reference here made to our speaking, but if you understand the fruit of the Spirit, you realize it's not going to produce a harsh, abrasive, argumentative speech. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I like what I heard a preacher say one time. He said that expression that where he says against such there is no law, in other words, you can do all of that you want to without breaking the law. You can, you can uh, manifest as much love as you want, as much joy, as much peace. You know, there's a speed limit out there, but there's not a joy limit. There's not a, a peace limit. There's not a, a gentleness limit. You can bear as much fruit of the Spirit as you want. No law against it. And if we are manifesting, think of some of these words. If we're manifesting Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Think of those words in conjunction with how you speak. None of that indicates a conversation where the way in which someone is talking is uncomfortable. See, an effective leader, and especially a good pastor, is a man that will not compromise truth, but he also will go to all lengths to avoid offending you by the way he interacts with you. See, people go to the extreme. They say, well, if it's the truth, you just stand on it. doesn't matter how you express it or what you say. Just stand for the truth. No, that's one extreme. But the other extreme is, well, you know, old brother so-and-so down at that church, he never offended anybody. Well, old brother so-and-so probably never stood for anything. If you stand for something, you're going to offend somebody now and then regardless of how much love you have in presenting that truth. Speaking the truth in love. Paul said, in, I believe in writing to the church at Thessalonica, you'll have to look this up, but he referred to them as if he was their spiritual father and as if, they, as if he was their spiritual mother and described how he took care of the church in a gentle way like a good father and mother would. Then look at James chapter 3. 
I've heard Brother Chris and Brother Tim make frequent reference to this because notice how this presents the wisdom of God. And if this describes the wisdom of God, it ought to describe you when you are trying to uh, 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 give to someone else the wisdom of God. James 3.17, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, now listen to this, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Now think about that in terms of you talking. And you are trying to convey to someone the wisdom that is from above. If you're conveying God's wisdom to someone else in the right way, He says, first of all, it's going to be pure, but then He says, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, easy to receive. Have you ever argued someone into believing the truth? I haven't. I used to be foolish enough to think that was the way to do it. And we all probably backslide from time to time. I know that I have. But the wisdom that is from above is easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. You're one way toward everybody. You're the same person, same truth, same spirit. That will make you an effective leader, an effective preacher, an effective church member as you interact with other people. You're the same all the time. What you say is always pure. It's always truth. It's always consistent with God's Word. And you always strive to say it in a way that it's easy to be entreated without partiality. And then look at Galatians chapter 6. And again, just think about the principle here with regard to what you're saying. And this is a circumstance that the main action going on is you're speaking to someone. He says in Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now, to borrow an, a southern expression, he doesn't say, Brethren, if a man be overtaken a fault, you which are spiritual, go clean his plow. Go straighten him out. Go, go tell him off. Go make sure he won't ever cross you again. No, he says if a man's overtaken in a fault, if someone's overtaken in a fault, you've got to tell them the truth. Paul said, speak the truth. You can't, it's not a situation where you try to just make them feel good. You've got to speak the truth. But notice he says, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, that, in, that indicates gentleness, 
considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In other words, when you go to talk to them, you're already recognizing how, how far short you fall so often, and you're already saying, who am I to talk to them? Now, some people will use that as an excuse not to talk to them. But I've said this many times, that's the only person that's qualified to talk to them. If you think you've got everything figured out and everything in your life is like it ought to be, it's going to be difficult for you to go to them in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I may not be afflicted with the fault that has overtaken them, but I've got faults in my own life that often overtake me. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. All of this is about the calm, gracious, winsome, inviting way that you interact in conversation with other people. Then let me look at one more. Now this one applies to women in particular. First of all, look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. Now this is the way a woman ought to be in her conversation. Let's start reading with verse 4. Uh, verse, uh, Let's just, let's just go to verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word, that is without talking, be won by the conversation or the behavior of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation couple with fear. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold, and a putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. Here's her, here's her spiritual clothing. Let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament. Here, an ornament is decoration, like a, you would think of a Christmas tree ornament. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God. He didn't say in the sight of the world which is in the sight of God of great price. Now watch this. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, I read that far because that, of that word amazement. That word amazement indicates the expression that we might use when we say a, a woman's all up in a tizzy. She's just all restless, all, all uh, agitated. In other words, she stands out. She's noticeable because she is so verbal when in any little thing that affects her emotional, she's, she's talking and, and upset about it. She's afraid with amazement in contrast to having the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. That doesn't mean that, she, that does not mean that she remains silent 
in talking. It's referring to the manner in which she talks. A meek and quiet spirit. Now contrast that to the woman described in Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 10. Let's start in verse 6. For at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and being among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house in the twilight and the evening and the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. Now look what's in parenthesis. She is loud and stubborn. What a contrast. A godly woman has a meek and quiet spirit. This woman that has on the attire of a harlot is loud and stubborn. And the word uh, loud there, listen to some of the meanings of that word. To be loud means to be disturbed, to be restless, uneasy. I like this one, in great commotion, turbulent, in a stir or in an uproar. Now, I've met women that are not in the attire of a harlot, but they manifest those behaviors. As opposed to that meek and quiet spirit that speaks, but she speaks in wisdom and she speaks in gentleness. And that's a great asset for a preacher to have as a wife. And I know I have one. I know Brother Chris has one like that. A meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So, always look at Ephesians 4.29 when you're thinking about what to say. And say, is this going to tear down? Or is this going to build up? Is this going to be profitable or unprofitable? Is this going to be worthless or valuable? And if you determine it is valuable and profitable to say... Then tell yourself, I need to speak in kindness. I need to speak with grace. I need to speak in a way that I can win the person, that I can cause them to want to be my friend. So let us say, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.